All right. Welcome back to the SDR Handbook Podcast. We have Rafa and Andrew on who are, uh, Rafa is a business development manager from NL, and Andrew is a business development associate, actually principal business development associate uh, from NL. Recently uh, got the promotion up to that, which is awesome. Um, thank you guys for being on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Taylor. Awesome. So, yeah, I know, obviously, if, if someone's listening right now, obviously, Anel is not your typical tech company and people that I have on are typically BDRs or SDR managers at B2B SaaS companies or whatnot. Um, so I would love to get a sense of what Anel is for you guys. Obviously, it's a more service-based business um, from where you guys sit within the advisory section. So I'd love to get a little sense of what that looks like and also understanding you guys both were in tech before and then made the move over to Anel. I'd love to get um, a sense as to why you guys moved from tech to um, to Anel. Yeah, I can tackle the Anel question, um, Andrew, unless you want to. Yeah, so Anel, I think at the parent company level is one of the largest companies in the world. It's the, it's the utility based out of Rome. Um, and it started off with a traditional gas and electricity company that was just given out and distributing uh, as a utility. And then it branched off to become this large organization that did multiple services within energy, one of them being renewable energy uh, and becoming one of the largest asset owners of renewable energy. So as a utility, it realized that decarbonization was something that was coming way, way too soon. Um, and they realized that earlier on. So they just created our business line, which was called NLX Advisory, in which we're helping other companies decarbonize their emissions and figure out strategies, roadmaps, um, as well as execute on those strategies and roadmaps to help them uh, decarbonize on their emissions. So if you think of like Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies that have these mandates from their stakeholders externally and internally to reduce their emissions, a lot of them are looking at that and saying, you know, this is this is a very tough goal that we have to hit and a lot we don't have the resources nor the expertise to do it. So that's where our team kind of comes in and our, our responsibility comes into helping them, you know, see the value and bringing in a consultant like us. Awesome. Yeah. So obviously a lot different from the world of tech. We're just selling this software and that's it. And like you mentioned, you guys were, so Andrew, you were at Salesforce and then uh, Raf Bay, because I feel like I'm saying your name wrong now after I'd said it right before we hopped in. Um, you were at Uber before. And so why the move from tech, which a lot of people seemingly want to move into, you guys moved away from it. And I'm curious, like what, what was the main reasons for you both to move away from it? Yeah, so Raf, I can jump in on this one. So when I started my career, I was in consumer goods. So I worked at SC Johnson, and then I was working at uh, Clorox Canada, um, kind of your very traditional CBG companies. And I think I like those companies because, you know, they're big brands. They're well-known, they're very stable. Um, I think the issue I had, there was just a slow growth, obviously, right? I mean, you're selling bleach and garbage bags and Windex. It's not growing at, you know, 100x a year. Um, and I think for my career, I just wanted something a little bit more um, fast-paced. So that's kind of why I jumped into tech at Salesforce, working as an SDR there. And I loved it there. I think it was great. And I had everything I was kind of looking for. But I think one of the benefits of being in energy is that it is a smaller space. It's a more specialized field. You know, there's not a ton of people that do it. Um, 
So, you know, as an SDR, you know, looking to make a career as a business development manager or as a sales director, um, you know, with that more specialized knowledge, I think you can just in the long term end up commanding, um, you know, more money than if I would have just stayed at Salesforce selling SaaS products, which is difficult, but I think also a lot of people are in that space. So it's just kind of a more specialized, um, you know, kind of area where I can leverage a lot of the stuff I learned while at Salesforce, some of these other jobs in a really effective way. Yeah. I followed a similar path too. I was in CPG at PepsiCo and I was selling, you know, Frito-Lay products such as Doritos, Lay's, Dositos, all the name brand chips you can think of. And a lot of it was, you know, slower paced. It was more, you know, this is a resell because there's the market's already penetrated quite a bit. And then when it came to Uber, it was this fast paced new kind of technology that was a new industry. And so it was a, a massive change where I was driving from store to store, eating food in my car to now in this big tech office, getting <laughs> lunch and meals every day from this tech company. I was like, amazing, a whole different culture too. So I knew, uh, I knew tech was something I wanted to go into. But then when it came to energy, uh, the renewable energy space was just in a time period where it was about to hockey stick. Um, and it was very, very evident that because of the prices of renewable energy going lower than the cost of uh, brown power or green um, fossil fuel energy. So it just seemed like the right industry and the right time to get into. And it was a very technical field. I think tech, um, I love it. It's, it's a great sales cycle. I think it was just a little too transactional for me, at least at the time. I wasn't an enterprise. And this one was a lot more consultative, uh, a lot more enterprise focused. And so I thought energy field and the type of sales cycle I'll move to energy. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I've heard a lot of great things. Obviously, we have a uh, mutual friend in, the, in Jacob who helped set this up, and he's only said some great things about service. And he himself also kind of done what you guys did when he was in tech and moved over. Um, and so it's really interesting to see service uh, becoming a lot bigger, especially in the energy space. Um, it seems like down in the States, um, it's becoming a lot, lot bigger. Um, I guess like moving into now talking about cold calling and what that looks like for your space. I'm curious what things you're doing to make sure you're prepared for a phone call or cold call um, in this industry. I feel like there's a lot of things you do on the space of what this company may be looking at from, you know, how much they want to go green. Are they wanting to save energy? Are they wanting carbon neutral, maybe all those things. I'm not the, the expert, obviously, but I'm curious what you guys are doing strategically to make sure you're ready for a cold call and able to really hit the key points that this company is going to look at, especially in your industry. Yeah, Rav, I can, I can jump on that one first, then we can grab your thoughts too. I think one one tool that we're, we really take advantage of is like companies just publishing their own sustainability reports. Um, there's tons of great information in there around their emissions reduction targets, how much energy they're using, where that energy is being used. Because obviously it matters if it's you know, the U.S. or you know globally. Um, there's tons of great information there. There's also a lot of like external reporting agencies like CDP, which is the Carbon Disclosure Project, um, and a couple other ones that we can look into to see you know what companies are are doing, what they're working on, how much they've accomplished so far, and just trying to gather some some information and data there. I think that you know. It's similar in a lot of industries, but, you know, if you're an executive, if you're a sustainability director, or even a VP of sales, if it's another kind of company or whatever, like they're getting tons and tons of cold calls every single day and emails. So I think being able to kind of leverage some of that 
publicly available information, like which is if you think about it, kind of the bare minimum. Like you basically Google the company and sustainability report and grabbed a, grabbed a couple of data points just to be able to bring up and say, okay, I noticed this goal you had. I think we can add some value. Let's have a conversation instead of just calling them up and having really nothing to talk about. But so you're using that in your call. So you're pulling that, and then are you using that in the information that you've pulled? Are you using that in your opener when you first call them or are you using that as leverage then throughout a cold call to then book the meeting? Like how does that then work into what you're, you're doing on the cold call to book that initial meeting with them? Yeah, I think a bit of both. Like, you know, as soon as you're kind of done that initial introduction, like, Hey, this is Andrew from an LX, you know, you want to drop in at least like just one little data point, just to show that you actually looked up mm-hmm. the company and you have something to actually talk. Like you basically just like, what's your reason for calling? Like, why, why am I calling you right now? What's the point of this conversation? And then usually if you can say something that's really relevant to them or, you know, you hit something that's important, then then they become more engaged as opposed to going in too general. And then they're like, oh, okay, this is another cold call of a company I never heard of and they hang up the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what does that look like for you? Were you following the same path? And then do you still do that? Today are things changed as you've moved into more of a sales role within Analytics when it comes to your cold calling? Yeah, I think in the past, my cold calling was a lot more, um, it wasn't data focused. It was more of trying to get the conversation going. I, at least at Uber, it was, I could have called someone, pitched them on the phone in that one cold call and had sold and sold the product by the end of the call. Um, and it was that it was like that. Whereas this product's a lot more complicated, a lot more steps involved within it, a lot more stakeholders involved with it. So in the beginning, we're just using data to try and get the meeting uh, to show that, you know, we have an idea as to what your goals are, but it's also important to have a good technical understanding of what products and what's going on in the industry. Cause a lot of the times the objections that you'll get on these calls will end up being technical. Like, Hey, I don't think a VPPA makes sense for our organization because we, you know, we don't have the capital to invest. And then you have to know that you actually don't need capital to invest in the VPPA. You just need, you know, the ability to manage the risk. And so those things are just important pieces of information to note that they will be brought up in a cold call um, and aren't your regular day-to-day knowledge that you wouldn't have if you weren't in the energy industry. Okay. And and it's also not just uh, hone in on cold calling. How does emailing come into play from a sequence-based um, look at things and in the sense, are you throwing a lot of content out at them of like, hey, I know based on these reports that this is the information that I have. I've done this research. How does that look like? And how are you filling the content up within emailing? Um, I yeah. guess is, I'm really curious about. Yeah, I think one of the most important things to note about um, this before going into the email is that these the, the ideal customer profile for us, or at least the ideal customer, um, usually has a very large target that they're not very sure how to hit and are very understaffed, under-resourced to be able to hit as well as don't have the expertise. So whatever information we're able to provide them, it's usually highly valuable. So we have a lot of white papers that we are able to kind of leverage in our data as well as just noting that the fact that they have these goals, because we could look at their online publication and say, hey, I saw you have a 30% reduction in 2030 goal. I know that that's tough. You're taking out 200,000 metric tons of CO2E. So we can like, let's have a conversation and talk about 
what other companies are doing to make this change and make this uh, goal without, you know, burning through their cash or doing it in a more economical way. And that usually opens up the conversation very, very quickly because they're struggling to find that solution anyways, unless they already have a consultant. So. So are you typically finding that you're getting responses at the beginning of a sequence if you're sending emails or when you say like, Hey, they're, they don't have a lot of support. So they're typically going to book a meeting. Is that coming from those initial responses from cold calling and, and whatnot? Like, what does that look like? Are you, yeah. Yeah. Typically we send an email first as so that's our first way to go about it. I think in sales in general, mm -hmm. it's good to send an email first, at least for these types of clients. Cause you never know when someone's on a vacation and, and so on and so forth. So if you send an email, you get a no, you get that auto email back about vacation timing or out of office. So they don't work there anymore. And that takes it out mm -hmm. and pauses it. So you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, calling them and then figuring that out later. So we usually follow an email first cadence and then go off uh, calls after that. Uh, and usually within the first few emails, first few contacts, uh, we're able to get a response, but I wouldn't sleep on the end of the sequence either. And, and Andrew, have you seen the same results from, from you? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Generally, I mean, we usually put a lot of effort into the first email or two as well. Like it's with the most research, most kind of relevant information. So that usually catches people's attention if they're actually interested in this topic. And then, yeah, like Raf said, you know, you kind of just send a couple, I think our usual cadence is, you know, we send an email, call or two, you know, a couple more, just kind of just bump emails and then try to send them white papers and information. And then for me personally, I like to divide my sequences up by role and persona as well. So it'll be like, you know, procurement people or sustainability people or, you know, facilities kind of level people. And I try to pick some of our white papers to kind of target them a little bit. So it'll be about like how one facility was able to do something or how, um, you know, if we're talking sustainability people, like maybe more high level kind of strategic analysis project we did for someone does us see if they you know, can identify with that a little bit and inspire them to reach out or reach back out. Okay. And I'm curious from like a sequence wise, like what, is there anything that you've looked at and said, this is the best sequence for me, whether that's like the, like you you mentioned Rafa is like doing email first, probably maybe cold call after maybe LinkedIn reach out. So what, what does that look like for you guys? What have you guys have seen as your best sequence? and has had the best results for you. Um, maybe you guys have the exact same, but I'm curious, like what, what has worked best for you and um, when it comes to sequencing and what do those steps look like? Yeah, I think- um, You wanna go first? Yeah, yeah go ahead, Rob. No, no, I was saying you wanna go first. You go first. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, the th three people thing is uh, uh, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a slight lag. Just, just a little bit. So just, just enough to bump into each other. Um, yeah, I think, you know, my, my kind of key sequence has been, you know, 10, 10 touches to 12 touches, um, half of which being calls, half of which being emails. Um, we're just kind of like, you know, kind of every couple of days calling someone, emailing them, calling someone, emailing them. And then something that Raph actually showed me how to do was create like a nurture sequence as well. So if we have like a high priority contact, even if they didn't get back to us, I like will kind of throw them into a long-term nurture sequence. That's like 90 days, 180 days where it's just, you know, just kind of following up, kind of keeping, keeping it at the top of their mind, but not like, you know, not bombarding or annoying them, not like a full campaign, like, you know, not multiple emails a week, but maybe once every couple of weeks, just to kind of keep it in there, in the back of their mind. And when, you know, when they're ready, um, you know, they can, 
they can kind of reach back out. But I think I think that's kind of been our golden rule. Like, yeah, 10 to 12 touches over a couple weeks um, and just trying to catch them. And, and I think something Raph used to do uh, really well as well was like trying to call people at different times during the day. Mm-hmm. Not always in the morning, not always in the evening. Um, just kind of varying it a little bit just in case. Like some people have really busy mornings a lot. Like they're just, their, their team is just an early morning team or, you know, they cram things at the end of the day or, you know, whatever. So it's just kind of finding finding things like that to try to get in front of people and get time with the client. Okay. And do you share those or is there anything different you'd say? Roughly? Yeah. About 12 to 15 touches on a sequence yeah. and a good mix of calls and emails at the same time. Um, and then we just put them in a nurture sequence if they uh, didn't respond or they did respond and not interested mm-hmm. or so on and so forth. And then after that, we're, usually calling them again in another like the same sequence once again within three months or four months so it's like until we get a response you know you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be getting outreach from us so we never stop yeah. when it comes to outreach we also have to be a little careful <laughs> yeah. though because there's usually one or two contacts within the entire company that manage the specific area that we're looking for and so if we yeah. burn that relationship then uh, that entire company's uh, <laughs> footprint is out of our hands now. Okay, that makes sense. And within that, I'm sorry, maybe you touched on this, Andrew, but are a lot of those emails and a lot of those things going to be automated later down the sequence? Are you still manually going in and touching those emails? Yeah, so we've been able to basically kind of do a little bit of like a personalization at scale method so all, all of our emails at least for me raf are automated pretty much but we're able to kind of like leverage the custom fields and outreach to pull in like specific data so it, it takes a bit of work up front mm-hmm. like you know you set up the account pages all that information but then you're able to pretty easily just pull it into your emails so it sounds a bit less generic and what we found honestly is that like like for emails a lot of it's just like a numbers game like getting getting a lot of emails out to a lot of people excuse me and then being able to really hit the phones hard and get all your dials in, you know, that that's been my mm-hmm. approach anyways. Like I'm just dialing, dialing, dialing and kind of the emails yeah. are running in the background and kind of just trying to use as much time in my day as possible to get that done. Cause obviously there's no way to automate, um, you know, calls yet unless quack is working yeah. on that, but I haven't heard about <laughs> that yet. But if you are stop, cause I need that. <laughs> um, I agree. We've kind of figured out personalization with scale. I think outreach made it a lot simpler for us to be able to do that by doing the custom fields mm-hmm. and then doing the research upfront. Cause so, since our product is very yeah. similar across the board, we can find the relevant research that we need. And it's usually the same per company on what their needs are. So mm-hmm. each company will have a target emission goal by a target year. Um, and then we'll have a target for renewable energy and a, the amount of energy spend that they'll have and an amount of energy consumption that they'll have. And we're able to tie that in, use that in a uh, personalized email that we can just kind of, so it's just upfront work, more upfront work, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're, we're not sending individual emails every time. Makes sense. Makes sense. It would take a lot of time to do that, but if you're doing the upfront research and making sure it's, it's vital for them in a, in a sense of what they need. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm, I'm really curious cause it's a lot of fun talking about this, especially with like people who have been in sales. I'm curious what your favorite meeting booked has been and how did you book it? And basically why is it your favorite? I'm, I'm curious. So maybe, uh, Rafa, you could start. 
Yeah, for sure. I think this one's an easy one for me. My favorite meeting book uh, was with the semiconductor company that actually not a microchip mm-hmm. manufacturer. Um, I had called their sustainability manager, and they just uh, she like she like completely threw me off the phone. It was like, we're not interested. We don't want this. We don't need this. Like, why are you calling? Uh, and it's just like, it was just like straight up canceled uh, and wouldn't <laughs> listen to me. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll call your manager. So I called the director of sustainability <laughs> instead. And the whole conversation was like, wow, yeah, we really need this. We really <laughs> like, this is, well, like, this is great. This is fantastic. So I booked that initial mm-hmm. meeting and we got on the call. It was just a stark contrast from what I was told by the manager versus the director on what is Mm -hmm. needed by their company. And so it turned out to be a massive, massive opportunity for us because they had needs globally and we had the capacity to support them globally. So it was like a, you know, uh, fit like a glove. So I love that meeting because it was, it just shows, you know, you, you shouldn't give up after one bad call, even if it's with the same company, just keep going. Eventually you'll find someone that will listen. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. I think people get discouraged sometimes when you talk to a good ICP within a company and they tell you no, but there is always that case where you could call someone, maybe it's their manager, maybe depending on if you do have another ICP within that company, they could very well say yes. And um, especially in larger companies, because the larger the company is, the more they, they are disconnected in the sense of a manager to maybe lower... Um, uh, within the, the totem pole per se. And so there's always like that disconnect where I feel like you, you found that in the sense that, hey, this manager is thinking about that, but this person that you originally called isn't even thinking that strategically or doesn't realize that that's actually something on the roadmap. And that's a really big thing, reason as to keep calling in and not just saying, hey, I'm just going to go find a different account um, and being discouraged. So so love that. And then yeah. curious, Andrew, what, what do you have from... Um, favorite meeting book twice. Yeah, I was just I was just trying to think of some examples. Um, I think I think my favorite one is a meeting I booked for a uh, a manufacturing company. They make like um, you know bathroom stuff, fixtures and whatnot. Um, we had, had we had booked a meeting with a contact there, who we thought was the right person. We had a couple of meetings with them. You know, thought it was going well, but you know, whenever we kind of want to move to that next step, like. Okay, so we've shown you the proposal and said it's good. Like, hey, what like what are we doing next? Like that's you know, are we gonna move forward here or not? And we just constantly getting hit with delays and delays and like I think after a while we realized that maybe this was the wrong person or maybe they weren't getting us in the in the room with the right people. You know, they weren't really giving us access to the decision makers. Um, so that's kind of when me and my AE went together and was like, you know, okay, let's let's kind of re strategize this account. Like, how can we approach it from a different direction like you know we tried to go in from this route can we find another one and like was actually able to go in through zoom info and linkedin and find some other names and then leverage a little bit of the conversations we'd already been having to get in the room with that right person and once we did it completely changed the whole dynamic of the conversation right like we just elevated it to the more strategic level versus like the execution level you know what i mean i think that's kind of the people we're talking to mm-hmm. Um, and they were great. Like, you know, they knew what they were talking about, but I think it was more focused on like, what do we need to do in the next three to six months to accomplish a goal we have versus like, you know, how are we going to change the way that we approach this issue at a corporate level, right? Like what's going to be our five-year strategy and five-year plan and how can we partner with an organization to do that versus like, Hey, like we need some help with XYZ project. We have some budget or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think, I think that was a great meeting for us just because it kind of 
just demonstrated how like, you know, just because you have one meeting with one person doesn't mean that's, you know, like you said, it's a big company, right? Like it's 10,000 employees. Like the probability that you got the exact right decision maker on the first try is probably not <laughs> super high. It happens. Like it sometimes it's great. Yeah. You, you meet with the exact decision maker person who's ready to sign by, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes it takes a little bit more effort and time to kind of go through that maze of the org, org chart and find the right, find the right guy or girl. No, it's, it's good. It, it's always a good feeling when you go into a demo or you go into just that initial meeting and you see just how much your hard work paid off in the sense that this is actually a really good need. You feel like this is going to go somewhere and really affect not, not just their company, but also your company as a whole, because now you're able to actually put the product to use that you're out there selling on an everyday basis. And it makes all those cold calls kind of worth it where you're actually getting somewhere and seeing, you know, success, which is really awesome. And, and with that said, I'm, I'm curious, like you, you both have moved up within your respective roles. You have now been able to, you know, get that promotion and move up. And I'm curious, what do you think if you were to put into one reason, and I'm sure there's multiple different reasons, but I'd love to know if there's one reason as to why you think you were able to move up and what would that be and how, and if you're speaking to you know, someone else that's coming into the company, you know, imagine that for a second that you're speaking to them. What is that one thing? And, and maybe uh, Andrew, if you could start. Yeah, I mean, I think it just like, you know, kind of like just optimism and positivity and a little bit of grit. Like, I think that's, mm -hmm. that's really what, you know, they're looking for or what people want to see that you're willing to like keep working hard and keep coming at it every single day. Um, you know, even if, because a lot of the ops we source are really long-term, you know, kind of big ops. So it's not like you're going to get a nice sensation of success every <laughs> single meeting book is not going to be a close in a week. It might be in six months, it might yeah. be in a year it takes so long so i think it's just constantly like getting up every day and being ready to you know keep making calls keep booking those meetings for those long-term opportunities and and not getting too discouraged when you know you've been working on something for eight months and it doesn't work out or you know oh we ran out of budget so we'll talk to you again in q4 even though it's january <laughs> or something like that right yeah those are um, the worst <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And, and yeah you know just having a bit of grit right like being ready to make the calls every day like you know what i mean not not mm -hmm. just your activity metrics like that's that's the baseline that's the minimum, not, not, yeah. not what you can achieve. Right. So. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, knowing that the, there is the minimum, but yeah, it's how much you're supposed to do in a day, but that's the minimum. I like thinking about it that way instead, instead of thinking that, Oh yeah, I hit my activity list. It's like, no, actually that's, that's the least you should be doing. Let's do some more because I mean, at the end of the day, sales and SDRing and, and whatnot is, is a numbers game. You're not going to, you may have to make 50 dials and no one picks up. And then the next day you may make 50 dials and five people pick up or, or something and whatnot. Um, yeah. So I love that. I love that way of thinking. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, Rafa, I'd love to know, like, so for you, yeah. Like what, what is that one thing that you think, especially now for yourself in moving into more of a sales role where you're selling this product now that you had spent time cold calling and getting these people in, what's that one thing to be able to step up and, and get into that role and also be successful continuing in that role as well? Yeah. One thing is, uh, is tough <laughs> coming up with one, one, uh, <laughs> one answer yeah. for this. I feel like there's like a multiple range yeah. of things I could say that could come up like yeah. doing really good in your performance and, you know, overperforming and, and being hungry to be learn and be coachable. Um, 
I think if I were to choose one out of all of it, I think the major one would be in order to shift from, I guess, SDR to an AE to become from, uh, you know, booking meetings to closing deals. Uh, the biggest thing other than your performance, I would say is coachability and like do it in a way that you're, you can be like, it can be proven that you are coachable not just someone, you know, who takes feedback and does it, but someone who goes out of their way to be able to learn new skills, to be able to adapt and be able to help others in the organization as well to learn their skills and, and develop their skills. So coachability, I think, is one of the biggest reasons. Um, I think, Andrew, both, both of us have been uh, successful. We attend every single meeting that we book. We, we listen in on each of the meetings and then we provide feedback to our business development managers. We literally look mm -hmm. into how they're pitching and then we try and learn the content. Him and I know a lot of technical things in the energy industry that we have absolutely no need for in our role. Like we shouldn't know what a VPPA, what the onsite procurement looks like. We, we have, it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. for us to be able to book a meeting for that. Right. Yeah. But we, we took the effort to try and learn that and be able to uh, pitch it and then go above and beyond our role. We also like set up time with our manager to do mock pitches so that we could do, you know, this mock pitch and evaluate each other, have a business development manager, have some sort of manager come in and look at his pitch, tell us what we can improve on. And so we're constantly not just being coachable, but, you know, showcasing that we can be coachable and then doing programs and activities to improve our, you know, our, our, our current knowledge of, of the products that we have and the, and the sales processes we have. Uh, and we're also going above and beyond the role to try and get, you know, tools and, and equipment and like outreach and, and quack onto the, on the platform, so we can, <laughs> yeah. uh, make the role more efficient and be better performers. So I'd say, you know, yeah. do everything you can to try and get better and like mm -hmm. do it obsessively. Yeah. I, I, that's a great point in the sense that like thinking about coachability, my mind was going as you were talking around. The idea that if someone, if you sit down with, whether it's your manager or whoever, when they're saying, hey, like, try this out and do it, my my biggest thing is when you say, hey, this could really help you. Like, I know it helps. And then they never test that the next week or they never implement something that could really help them. I think as you were talking, I was just thinking about how much that plays into coachability as well in the sense that if someone's sitting down saying, hey, you know, maybe try instead of making $20, make 40 next week or you know, instead of this sequence, try this sequence and test it out. Like, I think that plays such a big part as well on top of like what you're saying. Um, since that, you know, actually implementing and being coachable also includes testing new things that people mention, not just thinking, oh, I have it or it works and that's where I need to stay. Um, so I love, I love what you said around coachability. I think that, that all that is yeah. a big, big piece. Like it, you gotta be coachable in the sense that you don't, especially if like you're at a role where SDR role is typically an entry level job um, and you don't know anything <laughs> like, unless you've been an SDR before, you probably have no idea coming into that role. And so being coachable is probably one of the best things you can do instead of thinking, Oh, I could do this. And even six months, maybe a year in, you should still continue to be coachable. Like I'm assuming now, even with you guys having moved up, you're still probably looking for coaching on how to be better in your current role um, as well. Yeah, so, for sure. A lot. And yeah, I'll add on to that uh, a little bit more is, and, you know, people love measuring their performance, 
measure your measure your ability to be coached as well measure how much you're learning you know how many courses have i done how many meetings have i attended how many you know rps have i helped with like measure your performance with your manager and be vocal about you know wanting to learn and being assessed on how much you've learned that's a great way of putting visibility on you and not just you know being coachable but showcasing that you're coachable no love that um all right, well, that's it for the pod. I'll hand things back to you guys to say any last piece that you want to mention, maybe something that you didn't mention throughout the podcast or think that if you, there's an SDR out there that should hear something. Um, yeah, I'll toss things back to you guys for, for that last. And whoever wants to start, uh, can uh, can go for it. So, Yeah, you don't mind. Um... Yeah, I mean, Taylor, thank you so much for, for inviting us on today. I think we both really appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of our mm-hmm. experience, um, you know, some of our knowledge, although limited because we're all obviously still new in our career, still figuring things out, um, you know, kind of happy to just share some of that. You know, I think I think as, a, as an SDR, because I was new as an SDR, kind of switching for another job. And um, I think the most important thing to just remember is, you know, it's a tough job. It's not easy every day. You know, people are mean sometimes. Um, it takes a lot of grit to kind of keep picking up the phone over and over and over again and and kind of grinding through that. But I think the skills that you get as an SDR to build a sales career are complete, are invaluable. They're very, very useful, not only in your career, but also just in your general life. You know what I mean? You'll gain a lot of confidence. Um, so I think, you know, if you're doing really well, you know, keep killing it. But if you're struggling, um, you know, it gets better. Um, and, and the skills you're going to get are going to be worth the uh the effort you're putting in for sure so yeah thanks again and it was a great opportunity to be in the podcast today thanks so much thank you yeah i think um one thing that i always tell sdrs or new people entering sales for the first time um and i and it comes from this book called happiness advantage by sean Aker. i don't know if you any of you have read it uh but when it comes to sales i think one of the most important factors of success when it comes to our performance is our overall satisfaction and happiness in general. So I would say for any person who is just starting off in sales, any person who's just starting off as an SDR specifically, which is a really tough role, really focus on your work-life balance and being able to have a good time outside of work because it will dramatically impact how you perform at work um for sales specifically and if you want to you know research on that you can read sean Aker's book on the happiness advantage think about the optimistic and more positive feeling salespeople outperform their counterparts by 70 percent. so take some time to invest into your own life and before you know while you're investing and becoming a better salesperson um but thanks taylor appreciate the time this has been a lot of fun i love sharing my sales stories as well as my cadences in our work at Analso. <laughs> this is uh, it's been a lot of fun. Love it. Love it. Happiness advantage. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, that's it. Have a All good right. night. Thanks, everyone.